morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day to the mothers. Today's reading will be from the book of 1 John, chapter 3. I'll be reading from verses 19 to 24. You can follow in your bulletins or I believe on the screens. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Glosser. Yeah, one more time, uh, blessings to all the mothers in our community, grateful for you. And we also, as always, want to note that this day is often a, a difficult day uh, for people, those that have lost mothers or mothers who feel estranged from their children, uh, different ways in which Mother's Day can be a reminder of the brokenness uh, that we find in our hearts and our lives and our relationships. So blessings to you as well. Joy and mercy. All of it. Uh, let's bow our heads in prayer together as we uh, bring our attention to God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful uh, for the chance to open up your scriptures, to hear your voice, to grow together in community. And we pray that you would send your spirit and make this word to come alive. Uh, we pray that you would teach our minds, that you would inform our souls, that you would bear fruit in our bodies. Uh, we want to be more like Jesus. That's our goal. Not just knowing more and not just uh, burning a few minutes with uh, spiritual talk. Uh, we want to be more like Jesus. And so come and do that in accordance with your promise. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to start a new uh, sermon series after having finished up the brief, brief series on the book of Jonah. We're beginning one that will take us through to the end of the summer. And it will be based on the Apostles' Creed, which we just confessed and recited together earlier. Um, each week we're going to take one phrase or one line of the Apostles' Creed, uh, which may or may not be familiar to you, and we're going to explain what that means using some passage of Scripture, as you just heard read. Now, what is the Apostles' Creed? Again, might be familiar, might not be familiar to others of you. Well, the word creed, of course, comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe. The Apostles' Creed is a summary of beliefs, basic tenets of Christian faith, foundational Christian beliefs. It's called the Apostles' Creed, not because it was written personally by the 12 apostles, the 12 leaders that Jesus gathered around him before he died, and rose again, but rather it's called the Apostles' Creed because it is rooted in the faith of the apostles, 
what it is that they foundationally taught, especially as we find those things taught in the scripture. The earliest version of the Apostles' Creed is found around the second century AD, a long, long time ago. And then it developed and the church in its traditions added, subtracted, modified the language. And the current version that we now have is found somewhere and completed somewhere around the 6th or 7th century AD. And so, of course, this creed that we have in front of us developed over time. And that's why some scholars have called the Apostles' Creed a grassroots confession of faith. In other words, it wasn't written by some council, like the Council of Nicaea, which wrote the Nicene Creed, another well-known statement of faith. It wasn't written as sort of a, an intentional strategy for, hey, this is what we need to declare to the world and to ourselves. It sort of rose up in the life of the church. It rose up as a necessary articulation of all that we believe and all that God is for us in the gospel. Originally, it was written as a baptismal confession, something that people, after much training and consideration and discipleship, they actually confessed for the first time publicly on Easter morning as they were being baptized. And so you could almost picture it. These new Christians, people that put their faith in Jesus for the first time, they would be asked this question even as they were immersed in water. Do you believe that God is the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? And they would say, I believe. Why? And then they would be asked again, do you believe in his son, Jesus Christ? And they would say, I believe, and they would be washed with water again. And they would say, do you believe in the Holy Spirit and his ministry, his work in the church? And they would declare, I believe, and they would be baptized with water again. It's a confession that has a rich history and an important place in the historical church. Because it's always had this grand purpose of teaching us. Why are we doing this? The Apostles' Creed teaches us. It educates us as to what the core foundations of our faith really are. But it not only teaches us, it forms us. It actually trains our heart. It shapes our lives. It orders our thinking about God, ourselves, and our world. We should be different because we believe these things. We should be, should be different as we internalize the truths articulated in this creed. But it not only teaches and forms us, it actually binds us to what I mean by that is the creed is sort of like a pledge. Recently, I was talking with my daughter about how you don't really hear the Pledge of Allegiance recited as much anymore. Maybe that's the most famous pledge in American culture. But the Confession of Faith, the Creed, the Apostles' Creed, is sort of like a promise. It's a renewal, a re recommitment of ourselves, not only to these truths, but to the God himself who is revealed in these truths. It's a pledge, and we do it in the context of worship. Because, as we did earlier, as we recite the creed publicly, out loud, in unison, together, it becomes an act of worship. 
We're declaring not just to ourselves educationally or formatively, but doxologically. It becomes a chorus of praise to God. This is who you are, God the Father, Son, and Spirit. This is who you are, and this is all that you have done for us in Christ for our salvation. Reciting the Apostles' Creed in a service setting becomes a corporate act of worship. And as I mentioned before, when we confess it as such, we join Christians around the world who have confessed these words in so many different languages, in fact, representing so many different cultures and periods of time. This confession, this creed that has been confessed by Christians for over 1,500 years. Imagine that. That's the tradition that you're being brought into. That's the faith that we confess. Well, the creed begins with the words, I believe, immediately calling into, uh, in, into our view this notion of faith, I believe, and the version that we're using repeats that phrase three times. You might have noticed, I believe in God the Father, and I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, this triune, three-person God. And so as we begin our study of the Apostles' Creed, and as we begin with these words, I believe, uh, the question might be raised, what is belief? What do we mean by just that little phrase, I believe? What is belief? It's a common phrase, of course. I wonder what it conjures up in your mind when you hear it, I believe. Maybe it's a, a word or phrase that you've used recently when a friend is, is about to face a, a daunting challenge. We, we, we say, I believe in you. Or maybe you've said it to yourself recently. I believe in me. I believe I can fly, whatever it might be. It's actually something that's become a popular notion or phrasing in sports. Maybe you've noticed. I believe that we will win. Ted Lasso, I don't know if you have fans of Ted Lasso, right? This wonderful series about a, an American coach that goes overseas and coaches a football team, a soccer team. And he has this famous thing that he's placed in the locker room. It's a sign, and it says simply, Believe, against all odds, believe, will you believe? What do we mean by this word? More importantly, what does the creed mean? What does the Bible mean when it talks about belief? We're turning to a short paragraph from 1 John chapter 3. And here we find the theme of assurance of faith. Oftentimes, our heart or our conscience will accuse and condemn us. And so John is talking about how we can set our hearts at rest. We hear that language in verse 19. How we can set our hearts at rest when our hearts condemn us or accuse us. And it points to certain things that we need to know and believe. We hear this in verse 23. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. So what does this passage teach us about what it means to believe? Four things will move quickly. And then we'll be done. Number one, believing has content. Believing has content. We see this language of belief closely tied to the language of truth. Verse 19, 
as well as knowledge or knowing, a word that we find in verse 19 and five other times all throughout this passage. Believing is adherence to truth. It's a kind of knowing. And that's why the creed is helpful in telling us the, the content of faith, what it is that we need to know about God. Not only that we can believe rightly, but so we can be protected against believing wrongly. Earlier in this chapter, in verse 7, John says this, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. It is possible, in other words, to believe inaccurately. Now, the, here, the Bible is not just talking about having some empty obsession with accuracy. You know, Christians, and some Christian traditions can fall into this. Even with a, a legalistic kind of way of policing and controlling, this is what you must believe, and don't you dare swerve from this. The way in which the notion of belief can be more oppressive than it can be freeing. It can become more burdening than it is a joy, a source of condemnation. It's not that thing, but it does matter that our faith is grounded in a true knowledge, an accurate knowledge of who God is. Again, belief requires content. Several years ago, our church used to run this program not even a program, an event, a relational time that we called Brewing Belief. This was a chance for us just to grab a pint at a pub nearby and let people who are new to the Christian faith ask questions, to sort through different things that they are wrestling with that don't make sense, or maybe that they doubt. Maybe you're in that position. Maybe you'd love to go to something like Brewing Belief. Some of you have. I have in mind a conversation that I had with one person who was sitting there together with me again as we were sharing a pint and, and they started to express this feeling that they have that's commonly held by a lot of people in our city. This view that, well, it doesn't really matter. I don't think it really matters what we believe as long as we believe it sincerely, as long as we hold it sincerely. And my response to this person who really believed this, and many of us do, it's a common view, my response to them was, well, that is a legit view, perhaps, but it's not one I think my wife would love very much. And what I said to that when I explained it a little further was simply this. When we have relationships with people, it does matter that we actually know true things about them. That we might say, hey, they're my friend or, or she's my wife, but, but listen, if you were to say, well, describe your wife to me, uh, and I said, well, she's about six foot six, uh, you know, she's got blonde hair, right? And she absolutely hates art and design. If you know anything about Paul, anything, anything at all about Paul, you know that all those things, three things aren't, can't be further from the truth. If you heard those things, you might say, well, I know you think you're married to this woman, but I want to suggest that you may not know her at all. Relationships, even romance, but relationships require true knowledge. Uh, some facts need to form an accurate basis for an exchange of love and friendship. Content for belief, even relational belief, does actually matter. You might claim to know someone, you might claim to know God, but if there's no content to it, you might actually be in love with a figment of your imagination. You might actually be believing in a mythical creature, not God, 
but a unicorn. Right knowing leads to right loving. And so we do find some belief content in our passage. Verse 20 tells us God knows everything. And verse 22 tells us God answers our prayers. We receive from him anything we ask. Verses 20 and 22 tell us about the Trinity. It refers to God the Son, Jesus Christ, in verse 23. The Spirit that he gave us, verse 24. And in the top verses, we hear about God, who sometimes is just sort of a, that's a shorthand word for God the Father. You might have noticed earlier that the Apostles' Creed is structured according to the three persons of the Christian Trinity. God in three persons, God the Father, first section. God the Son, section, second section and God, the Holy Spirit, and his ministry through the church, third section. It's a wonderful way of actually getting to know God. Why? Because believing, believing has content. But this doesn't mean that believing is only about content or all about intellectual assent alone. So, number two, believing means commitment. It has content, but it also means commitment. Verse 19, this is how we know that we belong to the truth. Believing entails something like belonging to the truth of who God is. Belonging to the truth. That can also be translated being of the truth. It's the same phrase that we find in John 18, 37, when Jesus, standing on trial, says to Pilate, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Of the truth. It, it sort of it conveys the sense of being attached to something. I am of this family. I am of this church. I am of this city. I belong to it. I, I derive from it. I'm shaped by it. I'm intimately associated with it. It's language that points to a whole life attachment and personal commitment to the things that we confess. See, believing means commitment. Sometimes we use the language of trust to convey this idea, that believing is, is personal trust and confidence. You give yourself to something. It's not just content, it's confidence. Sometimes we understand this in, in this sense, that truth is not just something that we assent to factually, but rather what we surrender to personally. We give ourselves to the things that we believe. It's why Ben Myers, a pastor and an author, wrote this. The I believe of the creed is a cry of total trust to the triune God. Not long ago, we had some work done on our roof. We had a little bit of leaking. Uh, that started coming through to our second floor. And so I wanted to check out what the workers were doing, have a conversation about the work that needed to be done. And so I proceeded to climb up the ladder that they had put up in order to get onto the roof. We don't have one of those crawl spaces where you can sort of just jump onto the roof. You have to take a ladder from the ground all the way up to the second story roof. Well, halfway up, I suddenly realized I was on a ladder uh, going up to the roof. It was not secure by any means. These guys are amazing. Have you seen roof workers? The things they can carry up, one-handed, just going up, fast, up and down. It's like they do it in their sleep, literally, right? So here I am, I'm crawling up, and suddenly I realize I'm very high up and on a wobbly ladder that's pretty steep, and I can feel my heart and adrenaline pumping, 
and I tell myself, don't look down. Right. Why? Why the adrenaline? Why that word of caution to myself? Well, I don't know about you, but in that moment, I found myself to be a believer in the law of gravity. I believe in gravity, do you? Which is to say, I believe that there are consequences to falling down, to falling off of a roof. Uh, I have, in a sense, not only believed in the fact of gravity, I have arranged my life around its truth, right? I have decided that I don't sleep on a bed that's lofted up 14 feet in the air, just in case. I have decided that as I'm going up a tall, steep ladder, I take it slowly because I believe in the law of gravity. That's not just intellectual assent, that is commitment. That is confidence about the truth of that truth. That is belonging to that truth. It's the same reason why I believe in the law of gravity, and that's why yesterday when it was raining, I held my umbrella up, not down. And it's why when I go up ladders onto the roof, I take it easy. See, when we believe in this way, when we believe things, they form us. We arrange our lives around these truths. And this is no different of our belief in the articles of faith that are found in the Apostles' Creed. You see, if I believe that God is truly the maker of heaven and earth, then even when everything in the world feels like it's spinning out of control, I can believe that God is in control. And I can arrange my life in a way that reflects that belief. If I believe that God the Son, Jesus Christ, was born of the Virgin Mary, then it means that I can actually believe that God entered into human flesh. And so when things hurt, when things just cry out in pain, I can know that God understands and arrange my life around that belief. When we confess that we believe that the Son, Jesus, will one day judge the living and the dead, as the creed says, we know that we can refrain from vengeance. Jesus will judge. I don't need to be the judge. So even when I face oppression and injustice, wrath from other people, I don't need to hit back or kill back with my deeds or with my words because Jesus is our judge. We're formed by the creed because we belong to these truths. I just want to say that some of us can spout out Christian doctrine, maybe because you grew up in the church or maybe because you read a book and you feel like, well, I know what there is to believe. And maybe even as we recite the Apostles' Creed, you're like, oh, hum, this is so elementary. This is so easy. And your mind and heart almost shut off and you just sort of rattle off these beliefs. But here's the question. It's not just do you know them? Can you recite them? Have you surrendered to these things personally? Do these truths sort of invite you into a, an intimate attachment, a belonging, a, a sense that, that we are one, I'm formed by, my life is informed by these truths, just like I arrange my life around the reality of gravity, do I arrange my life around the reality of God? Day to day and moment to moment, that's the question, friends. 
Not just whether or not you can pass a quiz. Not just that you've watched a YouTube video and you think you kind of have an idea of what Christians believe. Have you dived into it head first, whether if you're new to the faith or you've been walking for a long time in the Christian faith? And maybe today, are you ready to make something like a whole life personal commitment, not just to the Christian faith, but most of all to Christ? Because believing, friends, means commitment. Number three, believing is communion. We've already moved in this direction. Using gravity as an example of believing, of course, can be misleading, right? Because the God that we're talking about is not just an abstract law or principle, no matter how true it might be. When the Bible talks about faith, it's referring to something much more personal, a faith in a God. By communion, when I say believing means communion, believing is communion. I don't mean the Lord's Supper, which we're about to take, but rather I'm talking about intimate relationship. The back and forth of union, communion together with God. There are different parts of this paragraph, this short passage that points us to what this believing brings us into in our life with God. It reminds us about prayer. Verses 21 to 23 talks about this. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. John is talking here about how we have in our hearts often an accusing voice. In fact, there are three voices in this sort of inner world courtroom that we often have. Our hearts are the, the accuser, the prosecutor. Can, can you believe what you did again? And then we have inside of us also the defendant, where we immediately say, no, we didn't. No, I didn't. It wasn't that bad. And then we have a third party in this courtroom, God the judge. And the love of your life is the evidence of whether or not it's true that God has forgiven your sins. God has adopted you as a child. God has brought you into his family. How do you know we'll get to this more? Because of the love that you show in your life. The apostle is pointing to an assurance that we can have, an assurance that actually frees us to then pray. To know that you can come to God and talk to him, even bring requests of him, because you know he's not mad at you. He's not after you. He's not condemning you. In fact, it's his delight, his joy to hear your voice like his child. This is a blessing of an uncondemning heart that we can enjoy access to God in prayer. In fact, that word confidence in this passage, it literally means bluntness, boldness. It, it means the freedom to just say things fearlessly. That's the kind of life of prayer that God invites you to. Do you feel that in your life? Just the ability to blurt things out to God just because it's on your heart. This week, will you pray some unedited prayers, right? Because of faith in the gospel. Just to, Daddy, this is, yeah. That's what I feel. That's what I think. That's what I want. Go ahead. Ask it. Talk to him. Speak to him. Because it's communion that God invites us into. It's a relational reality that belief in Christ draws us into. We see evidence of prayer. We see evidence of the indwelling of God. How intimate is God with us through the gospel? Not just that we can talk to him, but actually that he lives in us. 
Verse 24, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. A mystery of the gospel. God lives in you, in your soul, in your life. He abides in us. He remains in us. That's why the Apostles' Creed doesn't say, I believe about God, the Father, Almighty, Maker of Heaven. I, I believe about Jesus Christ, His only Son. No, it says, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus. I believe in His Son because it's personal. It's communion. That is what you're drawn into. That is what you're confessing. That is what you're believing affects for you in Christ. So, to apply it briefly, as we confess these different things in the Apostles' Creed, do you know that it draws you or ought to draw you deeper and deeper in relationship with God? You're getting to know the lover of your soul, right? Sort of like my analogy earlier about my marriage with my wife that I'm claiming to know but don't know basic facts about. Well, this is actually an invitation to know more about in order that you might know intimately more the person whom you love. That you might love them more, serve them more, commune with, this more, with them more. This is the life that God invites you into. This is what the Apostles' Creed can affect in your life and mine. Understood rightly, understanding that believing is communion. Lastly, believing not only has content, not only means commitment, not only is communion, lastly, believing cultivates love. Cultivates love. Our passage teaches us that true belief is intimately connected to love. Again, believing is not just knowledge of facts or, or mental assent. The kind of belief that the Apostles' Creed points us to is not the same exactly as believing in the law of gravity. It's relational, it's personal, and it results in love. Verse 23, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded us. And here's the thing that you need to see and notice and understand to get this point, that word command is singular in the original language. It's not plural. He did not say, and these are the two commands to believe and to love one another. One command, believe and love. One command. Why? That's how intimately tied together these two things are. Believing rightly leads to loving truly, sacrificially, rightly. It's one command. The same idea is expressed in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, when it says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Not faith as an end in itself, but faith that expresses itself through love. Earlier we said that Christ lives in us, remains in us. Well, Jesus actually introduced that idea in John chapter 15, and there he said this, I am the vine... There's the picture, like a grapevine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, believing, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. With the weather warming recently, my daughter planted her little backyard urban garden all over again. Some of the beans already, they died, you know, when we had that weird scorching heat spell wave a couple weeks ago. 
but a couple of them are hanging on. And already, as we see the leaves growing, we're almost waiting eagerly, maybe too eagerly, you gotta give it some time, to see what's gonna happen, what's gonna grow, what fruit, what vegetables, well, peas, we know, right? What are they gonna look like? What are they gonna taste like? Because we anticipate the bearing of fruit. Friends, real faith, true believing, always, always, if it is true, bears the fruit of love. Always. And if you're wondering what that love is, what it looks like, John tells us earlier in this same chapter, in verse 16, he says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone, John says, has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love with words or speech, not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So we recite the, Apostle, uh, the Apostles' Creed, we internalize these truths, we belong to them, we allow them to form us, we're brought into relationship with our God, and what then should we expect to be born in and through our lives? Bigger heads? Look at all that I know. I know some stuff now. I can recite the Apostles' Creed, can you? I've known these things since I was four years old. <laughs> What's your problem? Why is it taking you so long? How can you not know? Bigger heads? Bigger love. Big love that looks like the huge love of Jesus who laid down his life for you and me, suffering and dying on the cross for all of our sins to give not only us life, but his whole creation life and resurrection. So as we study and recite the Apostles' Creed week after week after week all throughout this spring and summer, we need to ask ourselves, does believing this make me more loving? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. God is my maker. Does it make me more loving? Yes. Because if we believe that all people are made by God, that means they're made in his image. That means you better respect every person as having inherent dignity because they're made to look like God, regardless of their beliefs. So love your neighbors well. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. Does, does it make me more loving? Yes, or at least it should. To believe that Christ himself, God himself even, suffer bodily spiritually and so when i see a friend suffering I, I can say to them god knows exactly what you feel and i suffer too and i'll suffer with you my dear sister my dear brothers does it make us more loving it should we say the holy spirit gives us the gift of forgiveness of sins i believe we say well does it make you more loving well it should Jesus says, forgive others, even as Christ himself has forgiven you. Loving one another, even as we bear with each other's sins against us 
and forgive each other again and again and again. Believing always bears the fruit of love. So, 14 weeks, we're doing the Apostles' Creed. I mean it. This is my prayer. This is our prayer here. We're going to say it again and again and again. And even beyond this sermon series, we're going to confess the Apostles' Creed. We'll do that, weaving it into the life of our community here. And at the end of it, what should be our prayer? What should be the result? What should be the fruit? Oh, beloved, that we might be a more loving community. Right? Not just not a smarter community, a more accurate community. A more loving community. A community more like the triune God that we confess. Believing is content. It means commitment. It is communion. And it cultivates love. The Apostles' Creed shows us how to believe like this. I'm looking forward to growing together with you over the next few months. Let me close by reading it one more time. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen and amen. Dear friends, what do you believe? Let's pray. We pray that you would grant your Holy Spirit, which even this passage tells us that we know these things by the Spirit he gave us. You enable us to believe like this. And so we're asking that you would do that. Do that now and do that over the coming months. We pray this for your glory, for our good, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.